This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Sales and Leases, a problem-based approach by Scott J. Burnham and Kristen Juris. The casebook is published by Callie E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Contracts Lectures. This is lecture number 10, and in this lecture, we'll be discussing impracticability or excuse by failure of presupposed conditions. At common law, a party to a contract is excused from performing his or her obligations if, quote, after a contract is made, a party's performance is made impracticable without his fault by the occurrence of an event, the non-occurrence of which was a basic assumption on which the contract was made, end quote. That was from the Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 261. Initially, many courts imposed the strict standard of impossibility of performance before excusing a party from its contractual obligations. In more recent years, courts have shifted to the adoption and application of the standard of impracticability rather than impossibility, as set forth in Section 261 of the Restatement. The UCC was a forerunner in the development of the shift from impossibility to impracticability. Under the principle of freedom of contract, the parties may specifically agree to a discharge of their obligations in the event of certain occurrences. These are typically known as force majeure clauses, and the use of such clauses may preempt application of the common law or the default rules set forth in the UCC. Note that the consequences of excuse is that a party is not in breach. It may be necessary after excuse to make some adjustment between the parties using principles of reliance and restitution. Now moving to the UCC scheme in section 2-615. Four sections in the UCC address changes in circumstances after the formation of a contract for the sale of goods. 
That is sections 2-613 to 2-616. We'll start our analysis with section 2-615. Although UCC section 2-615 specifically refers to a seller whose performance has become impracticable, most courts have stated that the doctrine of impracticability is available to excuse buyers as well if the buyer otherwise establishes the elements of Section 2-615. See the last sentence of Comment 9, stating, quote, The reason of the present section may well apply and entitle the buyer to the exemption. The governmental action excuse, which has been expanded from common law under the UCC to include action by a foreign government, has been traditionally applied by the courts. As noted in comment 10, the sellers, quote, good faith belief in the validity of the regulation is the test, and the best evidence of his good faith is the general commercial acceptance of the regulation, end quote. In a case involving a contract dispute between an American radio manufacturer and a Swedish company serving as its exclusive distributor to Iran, the court excused the manufacturer from performing its obligations as a result of the U.S. government's informal requirements prohibiting all sales to Iran of goods. As noted in Comment 4 to Section 2-615, the concepts of failure of basic assumption and impracticability are fundamental to an understanding of subsection 2-615A. Both elements must be present before a seller is excused. Now moving to failure of basic assumption. In order to be excused under section 2-615A, a contingency must occur, the non-occurrence of which was a basic assumption on which the contract was made. First, the comments indicate that a contingency must occur which was unforeseen. Comment 1 refers to, quote, unforeseen supervening circumstances not within the contemplation of the parties at the time of contracting, end quote. Comment 4 refers to a, quote, unforeseen contingency which alters the essential nature of the performance, end quote. However, complete non-foreseeability is not the test. Quote, After all, as Williston has said, practically any occurrence can be foreseen, but whether the foreseeability is sufficient to render unacceptable the defense of impossibility is one of degree. End quote. This was from Opera Company of Boston versus Wolf Trap Foundation for the Performing Arts. Second, as noted by the court in Transatlantic Financing Corp. versus United States, even if there is an unforeseen contingency, the risk of the non-occurrence of that contingency, quote, must not have been allocated either by agreement or by custom, end quote. If one or the other of the parties assume a risk, even if all of the particulars of that risk are not discussed or known in advance, Quote, this fact 
should legitimately cause us to judge the impracticability of performance in stricter terms than we would were the contingency unforeseen. Other courts have also noted that in order to successfully assert the affirmative defense of commercial impracticability, the party must show that the unforeseen event upon which excuse is predicated is due to factors beyond the party's control. Two relatively frequent contingencies which give rise to the applicability of UCC Section 2-615 include failure of a source of supply and unexpected increases in costs. If you are able to establish that a contingency has occurred, the non-occurrence of which was a basic assumption of the agreement, you must also show that the occurrence of such contingency renders performance impracticable. Comment D to Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 261 states, quote, Performance may be impracticable because extreme and unreasonable difficulty, expense, injury, or loss to one of the parties will be involved. A severe shortage of raw materials or of supplies due to war, embargo, local crop failure, unforeseen shutdown of major sources of supply, or the like, which either causes a marked increase in cost or prevents performance altogether, may bring the case within the rule stated in this section. Performance may also be impracticable because it will involve a risk of injury to person or property of one of the parties or of others that is disproportionate to the ends to be attained by performance. However, impracticability means more than impracticality. A mere change in the degree of difficulty or expense due to such causes as increased wages, price of raw material, or costs of construction, unless well beyond the normal range, does not amount to impracticability since it is this sort of risk that a fixed-price contract is intended to cover. Furthermore, a party is expected to use reasonable efforts to surmount obstacles to performance, and a performance is impracticable only if it is so in spite of such efforts. End quote. In order to rely upon the excuse defense, UCC Section 2-615C requires a seller to seasonably notify the buyer that there will be delay or non-delivery. UCC Section 1-201B26 states that a person notifies another by taking such steps as may be reasonably required to inform the other in ordinary course whether or not such other actually comes to know of it. And allocation. Under UCC Section 2-615B, If an unforeseen contingency, such as a crop failure, affects only a part of the seller's capacity to perform, the seller must allocate production and deliveries among his customers in any manner which is fair and reasonable. For example, if a farmer has contracted to sell his anticipated crop of 100,000 bushels of barley to be grown on specified land among two purchasers, and as a result of drought, the farmer only produces 40,000 bushels. The farmer must allocate the 40,000 bushels 
in a fair and reasonable manner among the two purchasers. Now moving to section 2-616. UCC section 2-616 lays out the buyer's options when the seller's duties have been excused under section 2-615. Assuming the buyer has received notice that the seller will make an allocation or be delayed under that section, if the deficiency, quote, substantially impairs the value of the whole contract, end quote, under section 2-612, then the buyer can either terminate the contract or modify it by agreeing to take the allocation. If the buyer does not respond within a reasonable time, not exceeding 30 days, the seller can assume the contract has lapsed. UCC section 2-613 governs the situation where a contract requires delivery of goods that have been identified when the contract is made. For example, a particular horse or car. As a prerequisite to the application of this section, the goods must be identified when the contract is made. In addition to the identification requirement, the goods also must suffer casualty without the fault of either party, and the risk of loss must not yet have passed to the buyer. If the elements are satisfied, then the contract is avoided if the loss is total. UCC Section 2-614 allows a party to substitute performance in two situations. Under Section 2-6141, If the agreed-upon shipping method becomes unavailable or commercially impracticable and a commercially reasonable substitute is available, substitute performance must be tendered and accepted. For example, if a seller has agreed to ship by rail and a rail strike occurs, the seller may ship by any other commercially reasonable method. On the other hand, A mere increase in the price of shipping by rail would not trigger application of this provision. Under Section 2-6142, if the agreed payment method fails because of governmental regulation, the seller may withhold or stop delivery unless the buyer provides a means or manner of payment which is commercially a substantial equivalent. If the seller has already delivered the goods, the seller must accept the agreed payment unless the regulation is discriminatory, oppressive, or predatory. And the use of the force majeure clause. UCC sections 2-613 through 2-615 offer limited and narrow opportunities to excuse a party from performance. For example, section 2-615 requires that a contingency be unforeseen and render performance impracticable. Courts have said that such things as strikes, droughts, shipping failures, and government actions are often foreseeable. And thus, such events do not necessarily trigger relief under these UCC provisions. However, under the principle of freedom of contract, the parties are free to enlarge the situation's where one of the parties may be excused from performance. These types of clauses are referred to as force majeure clauses. Comment 8 
recognizes the ability of the parties to enter such agreements, but cautions that they, quote, are to be read in the light of mercantile sense and reason. For Section 2-615 sets up the commercial standard for normal and reasonable interpretation and provides a minimum beyond which agreement may not go, end quote. And that concludes this audio lecture. Thanks, everybody, and take care.